probably 10 or 12 years ago through Johnny Smith and Everett. They were farm buddies. And uh, Everett um, probably one of the best witnesses I know from this church talked to everybody about this little white church alongside the road he would say and John for five or ten years sat here under our ministry came to our fellowships and never trusted Christ and us pleading with him Linda actually in the barnyard offered to kneel with him and he always put it off. He had a brand new home that he never lived in until he got sick right before he died. He actually lived in his barn. And I'd go see him and we'd talk and spend time witness to him. Toughest old bird I ever met in my life. I took a 400-pound steer to her bull calf to him to have it vaccinated and uh, wormed and that thing got in the chute and it jumped and John had a hold of the back of its neck and had a needle they were about that long he went to jab it and it jumped and it went in right here and come out right there in his hand and he let out an oath that I won't repeat in church <laughs> and pulled back and jerked it out of his hand and stabbed it and said, there you go, sucker. Uh, he was something else. <laughs> but he's in heaven today because folks like Everett and others that cared Parables of Jesus, this is number four. There are seven parables in Matthew chapter 13, one of which I'll, I won't do them all this morning. Um, one of which um, is the parable of the sower. Um, these 13 parables were titled by Jesus himself, Mysteries of the Kingdom of Heaven. And if you read them in succession, they describe the results of the presence of the gospel in this day and age, um, a time of seed sowing, which began with Jesus. And we understand that some sow, some water, some and, and God gives the increase. Um, but the, the sowing that began the, the, with Jesus until a time of harvest, which is even discussed in these parables, which you find in the end of Matthew 13, which talks about the tares or the weeds in which Jesus is discussing within a sphere of... Christian professions um, and, and while 
speaking of the tares. He's, he's talking about folks that made professions but weren't really saved. Um, folks that we describe as um, professing Christ yet not possessing Christ because of a, a motive. I went, uh, we have kids all the time, so I went because somebody else went and saved when I was a child, but I really never got saved. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, we, we used to see a lot of that at church camps and things with children, um, you know, but Christ discussed that in, in Matthew 13. Um, and here in this parable of the sower, it begins with sowing seeds and preaching um, the, the word and planting seeds in the hearts of people. And the seed is God's word, and the various soils represent um, different kinds of hearts and different responses to the word of God. By comparing the seed to God's word, we, we must also make an analogy because a seed is something that really comes alive. It, it, and, and God's word is living and powerful and can, it just does miraculous things in the lives of people. Uh, it, it has life in it and, it and that life is imparted to those who believe, put their faith and trust um, in Christ. And the truth of God's word must take root in the heart like a seed. And it, uh, it also must be cultivated like the seed and discipled is, is our word for cultivation. We disciple those that trust Christ. It's, it's, it is good enough to make a profession of faith and put your faith in Christ. But our desire is that you grow and we disciple you um, to where that you mature as a Christian because nobody's ever on the same plane. This young lady that this morning was baptized not on the same plane as someone that's been saved for, uh, maybe she is, but uh, been saved for a hundred years. We would hope that in a hundred years you had grown in your Christian faith and in your walk. Um, but we believe that discipling is done best through our small groups that we have on Wednesday evening um, because it's a, a teaching rotation of missional, which is outreach. Every Christian ought to be an outreach. They ought to be reaching out to the unsaved people in your life, whether it's at work, at school, or wherever you are. Um, you ought, it ought to be relational. I, I can tell you very few Christians understand what relational Christianity is. Well, yeah, I've got a good relation with, my, with the person I sat beside, or I've got a relationship with, with so-and-so. No, I'm talking about a relationship with Christ, someone that is alive, that speaks to you through his word, someone that is there for you in your time of need. Relational Christianity. There's a whole lot of difference between religion and relationship. And, and very few people understand that. They think Christianity is, I get saved, I go to church, uh, 
I, I give uh, my 20 bucks in the offering and I go home and live like hell all week and then I can come back next week and I'm fine and start all over again. That is not relational Christianity. That is religion. And, and, and that's okay. I'm, I'm not criticizing you for that. But it's our desire to, for you to grow into what is relational Christianity so that when you lose a loved one during the middle of the week, you don't have to get all tore apart and fall apart and find ten people to talk to, which is good to have a community of folks and friends, but you can go to the one that is living in you and he can console you in your time of need. He can provide for you in your time of need. And that's called relational Christianity. And so we believe in missional, we believe in relational, we also believe in doctrinal and theolo- theo- theological. Uh, I'll get it out in a minute. Which is really just teaching you the fundamental truths from this Bible. I read an article this, this past week. 48% of everyone that professes to be a Christian believes they are saved by works. Something I do. You didn't do nothing to get yourself saved except pray and ask for forgiveness and for Christ to come into your heart and save your soul. If you're saved, you're saved by the grace of God because it's a free gift that he gave to you. And you do not keep yourself saved by your good works because the Bible says you are sealed until the day of redemption by the blood of Christ. So if you made a true profession, it was the right motive because you were convicted in your soul that you needed a Savior and forgiveness of your sins, then that's called theological and doctrinal teaching when we talk about the eternal security of the believer. And so with, with that, we, that's the things that we believe along with restorational because many, many Christians are not in a relationship with Christ and they need restored. We're prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one I love. We, we, we turn aside and go back to our old ways of life often. And so there's a part of, of, of discipling that is restorational and, and bringing you back into the fold. Seeking that one sheep that's strayed or wandered away. Not saying you're not saved. I'm saying that you wandered. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. So, so what is shocking about this parable that we're, we're going to get into this morning is to realize that three-fourths of the seed did not bear fruit. When you look at the parable, and and by the way, Jesus did not describe an an age of a great harvest. He described an age where folks come to him and and say, Lord, Lord, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. you. You were professing to be saved, but you didn't possess the Savior and and we'll we'll look at that this morning but but one where the word was really rejected in this parable uh, he was not impressed with the multitudes that followed him because many followed for the frills of a free meal or a healing or something 
and rather than believing that he was the Messiah. And so um, I believe he knew most of the people would not receive the word or bear fruit. Thus, this parable. Uh, fruit, by the way, in your life is the true test of salvation. And I, I, I say it over and over and over again. If you're the same old you that you were before you got saved, after you got saved, you better check and see if you even got saved. Because here's, here's the thing. The fruit of the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, you're going to see a change in your life. And I'm not just talking about old habits, old hang-ups, and old hurts. I'm talking about a different you that has love in your heart. A, 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 a person that has joy. One that has peace. No matter what, no matter what tornadoes around your head or in your life, you still got peace. That God's taking care of you. One that is, is long-suffering to others. That is patient and kind, gentle, filled with goodness and meekness. Self-control over the things in your life that, that, that hinder or, or hurt your Christian testimony. You have self-control that shows those are the things that shows where you've truly trusted Christ or not because that's what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is. We, we, we want to say that the, the fruit of the Spirit is winning someone else to Christ. No, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, and all these other things. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian when you win someone to Christ. And, it, it, you know, so it, it, you can simply make a profession of faith and say, I trust Christ without possessing the Savior. And you need to examine yourself. We have open communion. If you're here, you examine yourself to whether or not you're a Christian before you take communion. Um, uh, but the, we, we must realize that there's going to be a change in our life once we have trusted Christ. And John dealt with all that very pointedly. You say, well, preacher, I've never heard it put on that fashion. Read 1 John 2.19. We'll put it up for you. You talk about people professing Christ but are not saved. Listen to how John puts that. He said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might make manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And if you don't experience a still small voice inside of you that is convicting you of things you're doing and things that you say, of, of your old habits, hang-ups, or hurts then chances are 100% you are not saved. Because the Holy Spirit comes to live inside. And over time, there will be a change in your life. 
And if there is no change, there's going to be chastening. That's the two sure-fired ways you can know you're saved. The Lord's going to be in your wheelhouse correcting you. Just like you spank your children, he's going to be spanking you if you don't see that change in your life. Now I want to look at the parable, and the beauty of the parable is Jesus actually gives us his own interpretation of this parable. And, and let's read it together. It's, it's rather long, but I want to read the parable, and then I want to read his interpretation also, and we'll do it sequentially here. Beginning with Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 9, and then 13, 18 through 23, if you have a Bible and want to turn there. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground, yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirty. He who had his ears to hear, let him hear. Now the interpretation. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. Talking about professing without possessing. Snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word immediately, receives it with joy. You have an emotional intake. You're happy, excited. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. The sower is obviously of the good seed is the Son of Man, according to Matthew thirteen thirty seven. So this is a reference to Christ, the sower. However, it can be applicable to someone that is a witness proclaiming the word um, of the gospel to others. The seed is the word of the kingdom, according to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 19. It's the gospel. The death, burial, the resurrection is the gospel, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. The first soil, the wayside, and, and a lot of people want to argue, well, this one was saved if they was on the wayside and that one. Let's, let's, don't, let's don't try to dis- describe. I think that's an examination that we can't determine, but you can because you know your heart. So the wayside seed, though, Christ said, this soil represents one who hears and does not understand. 
And, and many will say, if they couldn't understand, then they obviously weren't saved. You argue it however you want to argue it, saved or lost. I'm just telling you what it says. These are most likely those who harden their hearts and make excuse or build a reason not to believe. You ever met anybody like that? I had a great friend. Uh, matter of fact, he was one of the most precious people in my life. Um, we were very, very close. He owned a lot of liquor stores in, in West Virginia, and he had bukus of, of uh, poker machines all throughout this, the, the state of West Virginia. And I built him an airplane hangar. He was he was very, very wealthy individual. Um, I, I, I spent a lot of time with him. But he was always resistant to the gospel because of the businesses he owned. And, and I would try to explain to him, you know, just trust Christ. God will, will help you to deal with what you foresee as a reason why you shouldn't get saved. But I never could get that across to him, you know. Uh, he'll, he'll help you deal with whatever it is in your life that you don't understand or is a reason that you give, well, I can't get saved because I, I'm too bad an individual. There's nobody too bad. That's who he died for. Amen. Was for sinners. And, and the birds, you know, <laughs> the birds in this represent the devil or the wicked one. Satan blinds us. He, he blinded my friend um, for many years to the gospel. He don't want you to see the truth of the, the gospel. That no matter what you're involved in, how bad you are, no matter what, Christ died for you. Amen. There was a young man when we was in the old building, came to me one Sunday after church. He said, Preacher, I'd get saved, but God won't save me. I said, what makes you think that? He said, I killed a man with my bare hands. I said, God will save you just like he saved me. Come up here up front and we'll kneel down and I'll show you that. Amen. And Grady trusted Christ and attended regularly, him and his brother, for, for a long, long time. But the, the birds and the, that represent Satan in this passage, they, they want to deceive you. We, we're all sinners. And, and we all uh, have had a reason, something in our life as to why we should not be saved. And, and so, yet those are the ones that Christ died for, these folks by the wayside. And, and we all are saved by grace, not because we quit something or we do something or we turn over a new leaf. We are the ones that Christ died for the sinners. Not the perfect man. The perfect man doesn't think he needs a Savior. <laughs> By the way, if you're here this morning and you think you're perfect and you don't need a Savior, you're being blinded. Blinded. There are no perfect ones. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We all need Jesus. 
The second soil is, is the stony places. This soil represents one who hears immediately and receives with joy. They're the one that shout and run the aisle and have all this happy time, yet they have no root. I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with joy. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with shouting and running the aisle. If it's a distraction, it's wrong. If it's self-serving, it's wrong. But they have joy, but they have no root. They only stick around a little while. You say, are they not saved? I, I don't know. I can't judge. I don't know if the Holy Spirit lives inside of them or not. But I can tell you, you can't tell by the honk of the horn how much gas is in the tank. No, that's just the truth. They endure for a while, but when trouble comes, you know, well, the church let me down. I had a need and they didn't help. Someone, they got a chip on their shoulder and someone touches it and it flips it off and, and they're gone. They're hurt, you know, their, their little pinky gets a scratch and they're gone because they get their feelings hurt. Someone says something that they don't like, you stumble and walk away. That's the stony soil. Here we learn that an emotional reception without a strong foundation based on the Word of God, small groups, discipleship, Wednesday evening classes, you will not stand against tribulation, persecution, and temptation. That's the examples of what he gives. You need relational Christianity, a relationship with Jesus, and you need a community of friends and family and church members. <coughs> the third is the soil that fell among the thorns. Sorry, I've got to get something to drink. I'm not going to get through it. <coughs> the soil where it falls among the thorns. What is that? Let's see what Christ said. He said that here's the word, but the ability to bear fruit is choked by what? Three things. You find them, two of them here and one of them in Luke's account of this parable. The cares of this world. Anybody got cares in this world? Yeah, we all do. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Anybody here ever let the almighty dollar rule and you make bad decisions? Amen or oh me, you bunch of fibbers. <laughs> deceitfulness of riches or the pleasures of life. These three thorns cause many people to stumble and be unfruitful. I think this group is a saved group of individuals. That's just my personal opinion. And these are the things that cause anxiety, that cause a distraction in our hearts and minds. They divert our attention away from God and create, here's one, feelings of self-sufficiency. 
Anybody here think you're self-sufficient? One bout with cancer, you'll find out you're not very self-sufficient. One, one illness, one disease, you'll find out how self-sufficient you are. But those are the things that create within us that feeling of self-sufficiency. The things that we do, the pleasures that we sow to our flesh that, that make it impossible to reap in the Spirit. Now, don't get mad, but hobbies. Hobbies. I know guys that will play golf on Sunday instead of going to church every Sunday. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about on vacation and playing golf. I'm talking about they schedule stuff during church time. That's distraction, taking you away. Athletics. We're going to have practice on Wednesday. We're going to have games on Sunday. I love it that a lot of our good Christian young men's gotten involved in the Little League this year at, at Chesapeake. I can remember the day they didn't schedule nothing on Wednesdays and Sundays. Nothing. And if it did, they didn't coincide at the same time church. They, in fact, encouraged the kids to go to church. Materialism. I need this toy. We was just talking about toys with someone this morning. I need this toy. I need this toy. Oh, Mark and I was talking about toys. We need all these toys. Well, that's materialism if, if it takes you away from God. Materialism, working hours to have more and more and more. I know what that looks like. Using our families as an excuse to divert us from our callings and talents. Ouch. Folks, I've been there. I've I've, I've done that. I have those t-shirts. Speaking from experience, I did it for 20 years. If you don't believe me, ask the lady sitting here behind me. They, they, they divert us. They distract us. We need to examine ourselves under the control of the Holy Spirit. You don't need, you don't need your, your spouse, your neighbor, someone else pointing out. Just look at yourself. Get in a mirror. And say, Holy Spirit of God, is there things in my life that's distracting me from the service of God, that's distracting me from bearing fruit, that's distracting me from my gifts and callings? Is the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of this life distracting me? He will speak to you. I'm not talking about things that are necessarily bad. I'm just talking about things that that we are living among the thorns being choked by ourselves, not someone else, by ourselves. 
And they're not necessarily wrong, but I know the Holy Spirit well enough to know that if you'll get yourself in front of the mirror and you'll ask him to examine you and discuss with you uh, the things that are excuse and distractions, he'll talk to you. He'll say, that's an excuse. You'll say, who said that? That's that still small voice that's inside of you that came to live there when you got saved, that guides you in a changed life. The one that when you get ready to cuss a blue streak says, why do you have to use that kind of language for? Amen. He'll speak to you. I had someone not long ago that's, I, I don't know if they're sitting in this room or not. Uh, I'm not going to tell you their name, but I'll tell you their story. They, they, they said... <laughs> They said to me, they said, Preacher, um, I was sitting at home last summer and I got under conviction one Sunday morning about not coming to church. He said, I realized I was going everywhere else, doing anything I wanted to and still using COVID as an excuse not to be in church. He said, I'd tell myself that it is okay to take the boat out on Sunday morning because I could watch it on Facebook any time I wanted to. Hmm. Let me tell you what that is. That's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you. And if you'll consult Him honestly and openly, He'll speak to you about your need to be in church. He'll speak to you about the sin that you're involved in that so easily besets you. He'll speak to you about your giving. He'll talk to you about your habits, about your hurts, about your hang-ups, the places where you can serve and use your time, your talents, and your treasure to be fruitful. Thorns. The last is a good ground. This soil is for those that hear the word, understand, and bears fruit and produces. Luke, in writing this parable, describes one of them as someone with a noble and a good heart. You live a life following Christ. You strive daily to be a good example. I didn't say perfect, a good example but continually are confessing faults and sins. You're remorseful, and you're also more than just remorseful and caught. You're repentant, because repentance is a change of direction. You're repentant and change for the better. You bear fruit by winning souls. You bear fruit by practical holiness. Your vocabulary, your life, your style of the way you live is a change from who you were before Christ. Your habits, your hang-ups, your hurts don't haunt nor control you anymore. What's in the past is in the past. It's under the blood. Forget it. So I ask, 
You've got to think. You are fruit-bearing. Your material possessions. Your caring. Your grace toward others. Your attitude is different. You are a new creation in Christ. Not perfect, but a work in progress. Amen. <laughs> You're not who you were. But bless God, you're not yet who you want to be either. Hmm. So I ask, are you by the wayside? Have you heard the gospel and not a Christian? Hardened your heart for whatever reason? Susceptible to Satan's deception? Risking eternity in hell? Not promised? The rest of this day. Let alone, I'll get saved someday before I die. Are you the stony places falling away because of troubles, persecution, and temptation? Are you among the thorns preoccupied with the cares the almighty dollar, the pleasures of this life? Or are you in a good place? Peace with God. Good and noble heart. Saved and serving. All things work together for good to them that love God and called according to His purpose. What's that mean? Saved and serving. You can't claim that promise unless you're saved and serving. All things don't always work together for good if you're not saved and serving. Good place, a noble heart, saved and serving with joy and contentment. Or are you miserable? Because of the distractions by Satan's deceit. I think this parable explains why believers backslide. We fall, or maybe just we're never saved. We profess Christ without possessing. Their faith was weak in some instances. Their understanding was meager. They just didn't get it. You hear us say they get it. Some people just don't get it. They don't understand. Your salvation is simply fire insurance. You don't want to go to hell when you die. That, that, that's not why you get saved. That's one reason, yes. But it's not the primary reason. You get saved to live a better life. To have peace and happiness in this life. Amen. To be a witness for Christ. Understanding was meager. They just didn't, they didn't get it. Or their decision was not sincere. Where are you? Which soil are you? I, I can only evaluate me. I can't even evaluate Linda. 
I'm, she's not my child to evaluate. That's the Holy Spirit and God's job. I challenge you to go home and get in front of a mirror. Say, Lord, where am I at in all this? What is my Christianity all about? Am I really rooted in good soil? Living a life of peace, joy, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, gentleness, self-control? Am I in a happy place? I just don't be able to seem to get there. I'm going to tell you how to get there. Go do the evaluation. And then get on your knees of the morning. And say, God, help me to get through this day. One minute, one hour, one day at a time. I'm not only saved, but I want to live my life for you the best I can. Let's stand. Father God, I pray you take the message, speak to the hearts of those in this room, and may they do the evaluation. And respond according to the Holy Spirit's pressing on their heart. If you're in this room this morning and you've never trusted Christ, you'd say, preacher, that's me, pray for me. I need Jesus. I made a profession maybe, but it wasn't sincere. I've never tried to live for you. Pray for me. I just harden my heart. I've got all these reasons like your friends as to why I I shouldn't or couldn't get saved. Pray for me. If that's you and you'd lift your hand honestly and say, that's me, preacher, pray for me. Anyone? Anyone in the room, pray for me. I need Jesus. I'm going to take it we're all saved. That's awesome. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you know you're distracted. You know within your heart that you're not where you should be. I don't write where you stand. I, I won't even call you out and ask you to come up front because of embarrassment. Why don't you just write where you're at? Say, Lord, forgive me. I've been distracted. I've drifted. You say, How do you know if you've drifted? If you're not where you were when you got saved, you've drifted. You've drifted. If you're not excited about loving the Lord and serving Him, you've drifted. Father God, have your way in this time of invitation. May everyone in this room understand the clarity of what's been spoken and respond accordingly. Dear God, if they have a need, their freedom 
they have the freedom to come and kneel at this altar. Someone will pray with them about that need. I thank you, Lord, for your word that speaks to our hearts, convicts us, shows us our need of a Savior, shows us our need to confess and repent remorsefully about the things that we do. May this church be a light to this community. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a need, please come. See you.